My name is Davis Smith. I'm the CEO of Cotopaxi and an MBA graduate of the Wharton School. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with the hope of bringing together a community of business people striving to bless the world. In this podcast, you'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And now I'll pass it over to Kurt Frankum, who will host this week's interview. Hello, everyone. This is Kurt Frankum, the host of the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. This week, we'd like to share one of the sessions from a past conference of the Latter-day Saint MBA Society. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us. And Christopher, thanks for the, the introduction. Um, as, as Christopher said, Ryan grew Qualtrics from a, a basement startup. Uh, Qualtrics was sold two years ago to SAP for $8 billion. And what was the largest private enterprise acquisition in the history of tech, IPO'd two years later, and then uh, bought the Utah Jazz last year. And just last week, a week ago today, announced that Dwayne Wade was joining the ownership group. So uh, in other words, Ryan, Ryan moves pretty quickly. Um, uh, just to, to get into this, Ryan, and thanks for, for being here. Uh, in a meeting I was in yesterday, somebody asked me to describe you. Uh, and I told them that Ryan Smith is someone who sees in decades, but acts in milliseconds. And they, they laughed because they said they see that in everything you've done most recently with the NBA and buying the jazz. But you, you've talked pretty openly about your desire to use your platform to do good, what, whatever it is that you're doing. And even just in this four months since you've owned the jazz, you did a, a very large donation to Encircle, which provides community homes to LGBTQ uh, youth, you, Tim Cook from Apple and Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons powered that national expansion. Uh, you've, you've established a scholarship program for minority students for every win the Jazz have this season and on and on. Can you talk to us about how you think about this platform that you have that you've developed over the years to do good and, and how you approach it? Yeah. So first of all, Mike, can you hear me okay? Yep. All right. Sweet. So, um, I'm excited to be here. I've always wanted to be an LDS MBA. Like I remember trying to go back to Stanford and saying like, it wasn't more than a couple of years ago. I was doing a, a class there and um, I was like, Hey, I want to come to the MBA school. And they're like, you're too old, bro. Like you can't come. And Mike, are we wearing the exact same outfit? Like, I, I think, I mean, I think so. Sorry about that. I should, I should have yeah. changed before. Obviously, anytime I can follow up the great Angela Duckworth, um, it's always an honor. Um, she's so amazing. It's been such a great friend over the years. But um, look, yeah, Mike, it, it's been action packed. You know, I, I mean, I was sitting here in July going, hey, what's the future going to hold? We had sold our company. You know, there's always that random thought, are you just going to kind of like sell off into the sunset in the next year? And like, that that chapter of your life's behind and a year later we're taking a company public and i've got an nba team under contract right and so i think first and foremost like there really isn't any pictures of how it's got to go and i think that's something that you know for whatever for me it's like if you look at my background and how i've gotten to to where i'm at today like it's probably the craziest road that anyone could have ever taken um from high school to college to my mission to my family situation to 
you know, how, how Qualtrics has grown and people who've studied that story know that, that it's just, it's not the normal path. And I've never taken the normal path. Um, when it comes to kind of impact and platform, I just, I, I don't feel like we should be messing around. I feel like that if you're going to go lift and do great things, like go do them. And there's never been an excuse. Well, let's wait for this moment. Let's wait for this. There, there's never a good time. And so um, that's kind of been a philosophy we've always had at Qualtrics from when we started working with cancer to, um, you know, taking company public and then tying up an MBA team under contract at the exact same time. And, and both of those processes are incredibly difficult. And um, I remember telling someone like, I'm not going to blink, like, it doesn't matter. We're going to go through both these while we're going through COVID. And you know, it's kind of this philosophy that there's just never a good time. So you might as well go do it. And when it comes to really what the platform is, is, you know, I think for a lot of people who are lucky enough to, to have a part of the NBA, I, I, I truly believe it's the biggest platform in the world. And I ran towards this platform post COVID post bubble, knowing everything that the NBA is and what it stands for in today's age and said, whoa, like what an amazing way to go make an impact. And I think that we've kind of hit the ground running. And I'm fortunate enough to take over from the Millers who, man, 35 years running and, and building Utah. And it's kind of been the entryway and the front door to Utah where the jazz are synonymous with Utah. And I want to go take that to the next level, obviously do it the way um, I like it, but building on the great foundation they've, they've left us. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question. Uh, something that we've talked a lot about, and that's just brand, right? And and how to establish a brand. You've got on this call a lot of LDS business leaders uh, who are pre MBA MBAs or, or post, uh, who all represent the brand of the church in some in some way. You've looked at how do we represent the brand of the state of Utah? Qualtrics is obviously a huge employer in Utah. Uh, the Jazz are, are front and center on all things. And it's so important that we we go out there and proactively decide who we want to be and, and tell people who we are instead of just reacting to every arrow that comes thrown at us. So what advice would you give to, to this group or how do you think about proactively building a, a brand in a powerful way? Yeah, it's something that's been top of mind. It's been something top of mind as we built Qualtrics in Utah and there wasn't enough talent here. We had to relocate 400 people a year and like, when you'd say, hey, you have a choice to work in Dallas or Utah or Seattle, it'd be interesting with someone who was coming out of school in Michigan where they would go and why. And you start to understand brand. You really start to understand what's the brand of the state. And I've always felt like Utah never got credit or hasn't gotten credit for the amazing things that have happened. I mean, our state's totally different than it was 10 years ago. We now have the number one economy six out of the last 10 years. Um, we were, were the fastest growing. Like if this was a tech company, like you would be so long on it because it's the fastest growing. I believe we're now the youngest demographic with the number one state with the most upward mobility. So if you come in, um, whether you're a refugee or whoever you are, wherever you start, like your best chance to succeed is in the state of Utah in the United States. Um, but if you actually think about it from the outside view, it's like that's not the story that's always told. and you know, it's easy to be the punching bag or this or that. And, and reality is, is part of my mission, whether I like it or not, and I didn't really sign up for this 
and say, hey, this is what I want to go do, but it's something I'm so passionate about, I can't shake it, is how do you actually change a brand? How do you transform a brand so that you're telling your best story? And I feel like for the state of Utah for a long time, it's been if this was Sports Center, we would be showing our, our not our top 10, our worst 10 all the time. And it's been that way for 20 years that I've watched. And I'm like, whoa, there's so many amazing things going on. I mean, we got more unicorns than New York City from a tech standpoint. Like that, there's only 1,400 homes for sale. We've got, you know, um, such a great, you know, destination here with, um, you know, not only the travel and hospitality, but everything else just goes on. And people are nice. I mean, and that's manifested by, you know, the different populations or groups that are standing up in Utah. And um, so I just want to, I want to help do that. And the other thing is you can change Utah. You know, I've, I've truly seen Utah change. I feel like we've done stuff that has fundamentally changed our state. And, you know, if I'm in New York City, like right or wrong, I'm not going to change New York City. I'm not going to change LA. I'm not going to change San Francisco. Um, but we have fundamentally changed Utah. I remember sitting in a room when we developed Silicon Slopes with a couple of us and like all the effort that went into that. And it's pretty cool to be able to make impact where you can actually change a region. And so I'm, I'm long on Utah. And I think that other people are too. I mean, I made two phone calls with the jazz and it was one of our investors in, in, um, Silicon Valley and uh, another friend in Australia. And they'd both been out, they'd been to events with me. They knew like how passionate I was. And they both said, Hey, look, basketball's great, but we're long on Utah. And, you know, I'm like, all right, you're going to write a big check and you're never getting your money back. Like, and you're never making money. And like, this is it, like you're in. And they were all like for it. And it was like, I made two phone calls. And then, you know, recently, as you mentioned, you know, like Dwayne Wade called me wanting to talk about another team that, that he was looking at and wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I was talking with him. I was like, no, like I'm flying down to see you because, you know, we weren't planning on bringing one else in our group, but like, you're D Wade and like we're homies and like, I love everything that you've done and we were going to do business together, but like, why not Utah? And then we went through this entire thing and we drove the whole state together for like, it was like the, the high school prom date where you're literally going from all day long. And like, then he came up for a game and he looked at it and he's like, you're right. Like, this is where it's at. And, um, that, that's how this happens. And so I feel like more and more people are getting the vision of that, but, you know, my goal is that we're, we're always progressing where what we're doing in the state or this region um, shows off our best self. And I, I think we're, we're long overdue for that. And, you know, if we can do that and lead with the jazz, that's great. And everything else will come with it. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Look, I, I love what you're talking about. I think a corollary is, is how you manage your own brand. Uh, a lot of people sometimes in their careers sit back and say, you know, nobody notices what I have to offer. They're waiting for someone else to do it. They're playing defense uh, instead of realizing that no one's ever going to manage your career, but you, right. You're, you're responsible to do that. So let, let's pivot to talk about that for a minute. You've obviously grown Qualtrics from a basement startup. We've got almost 4,000 employees today. You now have a whole nother chunk of employees over at the jazz. Uh, talk to us about what you've seen or what advice you would give to people who are you know coming out of their MBAs at that stage in their career? What have you seen consistently make people great? How how have you developed leaders? You've done a lot of growing your own talent. Talk to us through some of those principles. Yeah, I mean, 
Look, I mean, you didn't prep me on that question, but as you were asking it, a lot of stories came, right? And the one that I always tell that kind of reminds me of like where most people get stuck. And if you think about it, like most of the time people go into an organization, they'll, you know, I've hired so many MBAs over time and, and some of them like get blocked easily and some of them don't. And wherever you're going, um, if you're pushing hard, you're going to run into a wall, right? Like you're going to run as fast as you can. You're going to hit the ceiling and you have two options. You either figure out how to get around that or you get stuck. And a lot of people, you know, that can be career or where you go, but you, you've really got to slide over and then go up until you hit the next one and then slide over and go figure out how to do that. And, you know, I was, I was in that spot. I remember sitting there in my basement and my father would work in the office next door and he was um, support IT you know, our, our engineering lead, he was everything. And then I was over here running the front office and, you know, as a kid, I was really emotional. I wanted it all. Um, you know, I was, you know, 24 years old and wanted to go set the world on fire. And, um, I would always run into his office and I would say like, why aren't we doing this? Our competitors just raised a bunch of money. We've got to go do this. We've got to go do this. I have all these ideas. Let's go, let's go. My father's a really patient man. And I remember one time he lost it. He just flipped around in his chair. And a lot of times he wouldn't even listen to me, just sit there. And he goes, who is stopping you from doing anything? And I'm like looking around and I was like, wait, it's just me and him. And it basically was saying, if you're so good and you think you're so good, go do it. And I'll never forget that moment because... Everything I felt like I was getting blocked with was we didn't have any money. We were bootstrapped. I couldn't write code. I couldn't compete. Our product wasn't ready. At the end of the day, it was all on me. If I knew how to write code, I wouldn't be blocked. And then I had an opportunity to work with my brother in 2009 where I recruited him for Google. And I was like, whoa, like what? was frustrating to me wasn't frustrating to him. Why? Because he was better prepared. He had experience. He knew what he was doing. He was technical. So what would take me nine hours would take him 10 minutes. And so that's where it came in to say, hey, I've got to go get into learning mode and I've got to go push myself. So things that take most people a long time only would take me a little bit of time and I could solve them. And there's only one way to do that. You got to go through it. But a lot of times I see people get hung up when they have a different vision of what that looks like. They have a vision that says, hey, well, if I'm getting blocked, I'm going to go find a new gig or I'm not going to actually go through it or I'm not going to try to figure out how to pivot to go around. I think I'm going to go have a shortcut or do a cheat code and get around or jump ship or go to another opportunity, which is all of our natural tendencies, to be honest. I mean, I, I probably quit Qualtrics 20 times, but it was a good thing I had nowhere to go because um, by hanging in there, by just being gritty, right? And, and just by default, um, look what happened. And it wasn't, it wasn't because... I was smarter. It was almost because I was dumber, right? That I, I hung in there that long. But 
naturally it will define you. Yeah. Look, I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, gosh, this is probably seven years ago when we were with uh, Barbara Corcoran came and spoke from Shark Tank at one of our events. She said that her, her best entrepreneurs were the dumbest and she didn't mean that they were dumb, but they just never stopped. They never saw something as, as something that would get in the way uh, for them. You also brought up this idea of grit and motivation. Obviously, we just had Angela Duckworth on here with us. Uh, would love to talk with you a little bit about motivation and what, what keeps you going. I know you, you said the day you sold the company, you've talked about uh, when you saw those zeros in your bank account, it was actually one of the most underwhelming days of your life. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we hear so often people talk about like, oh, I want to go build a business, sell it, and then move on. Or I want to do these things. That, that's never how you've approached anything. So talk to, talk to us about what you learned from that experience, selling for $8 billion and and what motivates you now as you keep going? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, the reason why I've talked about that is not to be like, you know, so poignant, so focused on that. I just think a lot of people are working towards something and they haven't realized that when they get there, it's going to be pretty underwhelming. And, um, you know, in the eyes of a lot of people, that was success for us. But at the end of the day, you know, wires come in and I showed my wife and she's like, Oh, scary. And I was like, scary. We worked for 20 years and your only response is scary. And reality is it, it became pretty clear. That's not what it's about. You know, every single person, if you're making minimum wage is going to earn a million dollars or so in their lifetime. Like money, making money is going to be something that everyone on this call is going to do. It's probably the only consistent thing that we all have in common over the time. We will all make money. And that's not what should drive you. And I think for me, it's, it's really become about um, taking advantage of the opportunity you, you have. And, you know, as, as weird as it sounds, just not bearing your talent because it would be real easy for me to, to hang it up. Um, I'll never forget in 2011, a famous CEO came into Provo, Utah to buy our company for $500 million. And we're sitting outside of our office. And, you know, this guy was a billionaire, everything. And I just said, why are you still working? And why are you trying to compete with me? And his response, I'll never forget. He's just like, look, and his wife was extremely successful. Um, his response was, my kids need to see me grind. And I'll, I'll never forget that because I was a young entrepreneur and, and that's really what it's about. Like my kids need to see me grind. They need to see me sacrifice. They need to know that I don't have the structured life or family home evenings every Monday because I'm out of town. I'm traveling. Like we're going to have to do it a Sunday. We're going to have to do these things. Like it's going to be chaotic. And I think that's just what you do. That's what we're on earth to do. Like it's you're, you're on earth to, to go for it. Absolutely. Look, let, let's talk about something related to that. Um, just the, the church in general, obviously, we're, we're here on a call with LDS MBAs. Let, let's start by looking at your Twitter feed. Uh, just one thing, every Sunday, you post a Sunday thought, usually a, a quote from a, a leader of the church. I know that those have become a pretty frequent topic of conversation when, when we're talking with other people 
Um, talk to us about how the church has been an anchor in your life and why it's so important to you to, to be a representative of the church, especially in your own way. Well, I think, like for me, I mean, it's something really silly. It's I just started this idea on on th- Sunday thoughts, right? And um, because I think I think the gospel has such great anchoring tenets, and the content is amazingly useful. But I think I wanted to see if we had a branding problem, or was it a messaging problem, and so I'll just take a quote and I actually like it. Like I like looking in the morning on Sunday and saying, Hey, what speaks to me? And like, what, what, what do I need right now? And then sharing it. And a lot of times it's from, you know, president Nielsen or someone like that, or, but I never put like, and I don't know why anyone does where you're like Gordon B like nowhere else in life. We use the middle name, but like, I just put the real name, like Thomas Monson or Gordon England. And it's crazy how many people like will retweet it who are not of the faith. They were like, wow, that's a cool quote. Like that inspired me. Or like, we'll go on a podcast or, you know, there's people who don't resonate at all with, you know, our beliefs. And they find that to be something that they look forward to. We were on a podcast this week and some guy was like, dude, I love your Sunday quotes. He's over in Europe. He's like, I look forward to him every Sunday. And for me, it's like, whoa, like here we are where the world is a content heavy world where everyone's looking for content. Here we have all this content that speaks to me, whether it speaks to everyone else. And so I feel like in my own way, there's probably a way to share that and try to understand a little bit more about how other people view and take in and content. And, you know, for me, it's just centering. Like I, I had a crazy week last week. I mean, it was freaking nuts, but I, I volunteer time on Sundays on campus in a BYU board and the world stops. I'm sitting there with a bunch of kids on campus and I've got to sit there for two hours. And for me, it's like, whoa, like that's a grounding moment. And people often come up to me and say, hey, Ryan, like, that's crazy. Couldn't they call someone else up there or couldn't you do something different? And my response is actually, it's the opposite. I'm afraid of the day when I don't have time or I'm too good or I'm too busy to do that. I am afraid for myself. And every one of you on this call has a special talent. You're, you're, whether you believe it or not, you're going to be an R of the top 2%. But also what makes you great will kill you. It will destroy everything you have. And it will destroy your faith because of your minds and your intelligence and your desire to, to reinvent. It will destroy your family if you let it get out of whack. And for me... I've just said, okay, like what can be consistent in my life? And, you know, there's a lot of questions I have about the gospel. Are you kidding me? Like, but it's the best model I've ever seen for my family. It's the best thing that's made me feel good. It's, it's like, I, I, I love it and it centers me and makes it so that I have a chance. I have a chance to go do what I want to do and still hold it together. Because in my world, 
and the circles I hang out with, if you can just say you held it together, you're in the top 0.0001%. Well, look, one, one thing that I've always admired with you, I, I think I spend more time with you than any other human being <laughs> on earth. So we know each other pretty well at this point. Uh, but but it was interesting. And Ryan uh, interviewed Tom Brady for a thing uh, at Qualtrics the other day, and and was talking about Steve uh, Steve Young, who Angela also knows well and has done a lot of great research on. Um, and and Tom Brady's response when you brought up Steve Young was, you know, there's a guy who scaled his entire life. Uh, his he has a great family. He has a great career. Has a great second career. He's take care taking care of himself. Uh, and, and like you talk about it, it's pretty rare to see people who are able to stay grounded. And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, we were, we were gearing up for that the first time we were going to IPO and we were flying somewhere and you leaned over and said, uh, this, this Sunday I'm getting called into a bishopric. And, and my immediate reaction was this couldn't be coming at a worse time, uh, because of how busy everything was with the IPO. And the reality is that you've always, like you said, there is no good time, but also, I remember you You said you've always looked and said, if this is something I would have done 10 years ago, then I'm going to do it today because that's just, just how you live. And and I think it's been um, pretty amazing. We've, we've only got a couple minutes left. Let me just end with, with this question. What are some things that you wish you would have known 20 years ago or advice that you would give to people who are in, in the spot you were about 20 years ago uh, that have kind of helped carry you to where you are now? Yeah, I think there's probably two things. Number one is probably back to that last question is like, there's things you want to change in your life. And there's things that you, you, you just want to evolve with and grow with. And I think that you've got to get really good at, at deciphering that. Like for me, faith is like a non-negotiable. It's just not like, I'm not going to be the person that comes in and, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it tight. And that's one that as everything else goes around, like, both my wife and I have said, like, this is what we do. And this is who we are. And it takes a lot of work. And part of the reason why is because you don't know when you're going to need it. You don't know when you're going to need that grounding. And, you know, I I'll tell you, like, you know, no one knows how to handle success. Everyone knows how to handle failure. We're taught to fail and we know how to get back up and go once we get knocked down. But when you're successful, if you ever hear someone like do an acceptance speech at award show or something, they're, they're borderline like they don't know how to communicate. We're not taught to handle success. And for me, there's these guiding principles where we're actually, it's a pretty amazing playbook that heaven forbid we hit some of our goals. Like we know a model to follow on how we're supposed to be as human beings and with our families and everything else. And that doesn't mean life's not going to happen, but you have to keep a little perspective on, hey, what's that driving force? And that's, that's easier said than done. And I don't judge at all. I'm just saying it's worth trying um, at every level. And then I think the other one is just with your significant other and your spouse or whoever it is, um, that's probably my second thing is how do you grow together? How do you grow together? How do you bring someone along with you? Because oftentimes I see that people grow apart. And if you actually look at the scenarios, like in tech, there's never been a strong 
um, place for Ashley. There just hasn't. It's been kind of the Ryan show and everything else that's gone on there. But I was just on the phone with a, 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 a colleague over in another tech company this afternoon, and he was talking about where him and his family are, and it's just in a horrible spot. And it's really clear that they have grown apart. Like he has gone down one road and he did not take his family with him. And he did not take his spouse with him. And I think that that is a, that's just kind of top of mind right now. And so one of the things with the jazz and Mike, you've been helpful with this is like, Ashley and I are doing that together. Like, and so it's not Ryan, it's, it's both of us. And um, I would just look for things that you can you can do together. Like, there's no reason why any MBA student on this call probably couldn't have their spouse with them on this call. There's no reason, and you might not think it's helpful, but it it makes it so that you could actually learn the same stuff together, and you're both learning at the exact same time, and. I don't know. That's that's something that's kind of top of mind is from my call this afternoon that I wasn't probably planning on sharing, but it was it was a pretty sad spot. And it, you know, I hope these people can recover because they're super influential people in the world and and we need them. And they've been a power group, but they've just kind of gone separate ways. Yeah. Ryan, thanks so much for, for joining us and for your willingness to share all this. So, so grateful to you for being here. Uh, thanks everybody for, for having all of us. I think, I think we're signing off now. And, and I'll tell you, I'm still hopeful to be a LDS MBA at some point. Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guests and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society.